This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by Athon Books. Check out the very best in science fiction and fantasy at athonbooks.com. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Jared Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O. Sanders, Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Tim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Marsha Butler back on the show with me today. She was on, uh, we were just chatting, and I think it's been almost two years ago now. She had a, a new book at the time called Pickles Progress. And, you know, I, I remember us talking at the time about what a pleasant surprise that book was. It was one of the most innovative uh, stories that I'd seen in quite a while. And if you've not read that, I uh, encourage you to, while you're listening to this, go to Amazon or wherever and and order that book as well. But she has a brand new book. It's called Oslo, Maine. That's only been out for a couple of days now uh, when you're hearing this. And if you enjoyed Pickles Progress, this is a different kind of book, but equally as engaging and intriguing, and I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, welcome back to the show, Marsha. Thanks, Hank. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. Uh, so, Marsha, um, what's been going on uh, over this last year or so? You know, it's been kind of a crazy time, and, uh, you know, book launches are a little different now. Uh, you know, book tours are a little different. Uh, how, how are you coping with the the changes that are now 2021? Right. It has been just an unprecedented year, and um, everybody feels that, of course, immensely. The strange thing that happened to me is that after 46 years of living in New York City, last February, one week before the COVID hit New York City, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Wow. Yeah. So I was very, very lucky that I moved when I did because I had, if I had moved two weeks after – my stuff probably would never have gotten here. <laughs> um, my apartment wouldn't have sold in New York, all sorts of things. Um, and threads came together that made me one of the luckiest people I felt looking at what other challenges people have had. Um, so I'm here in Santa Fe. It's paradise. And um, the publishing you know, industry is um, in in chaos, really, uh, except, except, except everybody is stepping up. Bookstores are stepping up with Zoom events. You know, publishers are pivoting quickly with pub dates. So, and the great thing about books is that everybody reads and everybody wants books right now. So I think there's there's actually a lot of uh, grace in what's going on for authors right now in, in uh, publishing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when we talked last time, Marsha, we also talked about this other project uh, that you had that was just about to launch the Creative Imperative film. Uh, and and that was launching at a, a limited run there locally in New York where you were. Um, but let's let's catch up on that. What what happened with the film uh, and wh where is it going uh, for the future? Well, uh, the film premiere was in June of, right, it was June 2019, 
it is a documentary film for those uh, who are listening and don't know um, called The Creative Imperative. Uh, I had have been involved in a number of different creative careers in my life. And, you know, I think deeply about inspiration process and the meaning of art forms in the world, why we need them. So I decided to interview musicians, artists, writers, actors, and uh, dancers. Uh, I think I had about 20 people of all the disciplines, and I asked them the same three questions. And this documentary is a compilation of um, an editing of their answers. And what I tried to get to is uh, just um, an overall view of how, what are the inspirations for these people? What does it feel like in the body center when they are in the act of making their art form? And why does the world need their art form? Why do we need the arts? And the answers are quite profound. Uh, we go off on a lot of different tangents. And um, it premiered in June of 2019. It, and I put it out a little bit, but I didn't get much, you know, and no nibblings from Netflix, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's up on my YouTube channel. And the full interviews are up on the YouTube channel and maybe 100 or 150 short videos of people that I interview just ad hoc. You know, I'm always looking for people who want to answer the questions. And, you know, those videos can be anywhere from three minutes to 10 minutes, depending on how long they go on. And um, so it's a little repository for what I believe is a, um, you know, a way to distill the creative person's process, essentially. So I, I feel it's important. It's something I want to do, and I'll continue to do it. So all you creative people come at me. I, I didn't realize that you had published it on your YouTube channel, but I will definitely link uh, that channel up in the show notes of this episode uh, because I, for one, want to dig all into that. And I know so many else, uh, so many other folks will want to as well. How fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of authors uh, on and, um, of course, many musicians because I used to be a musician and all the art forms. So it's it's been fun. It's been really fun. Well, speaking of your uh, your past as a musician, you are no stranger to creativity, the creative process, performing, putting your art out there for the world. Um, but when you published Pickle's Progress as your first novel um, – how was that? How was that different? For what was what was it like getting that, um, you know, this work that that you work on by yourself for so long, uh, out to the world and and you know getting feedback from people. What was what was that experience uh, like? And and how how maybe did it differ from the other creative endeavors that you've been involved with? Right. Well, it's. Uh... Being a musician is sort of the short haul. In other words, you're always performing, you know, every week, learning new music, performing new music. And the performance is very intense. It is very in the moment. You're hyper attuned. And then it's over. Right. And you're on to the next. With a novel, you know, there is, uh, you know, it takes a couple of years to write it, of course, um, sometimes people take as long as eight years. I mean, I think I wrote Pickle in about three years. Um, and and so it feels like because so much time was put into it that 
somehow the stakes are higher. You know, it comes out on this one day and then you, you know, it's out and then what happens, who knows? And people do have reactions. And and the other thing is that your words are there forevermore, right? So in a performance, people are in the hall are experiencing, if it's it, on a recording, of course, it can be listened to again. And I did do many recordings when I was an oboist. But um, the good news is the book is there forever. And people can read it and comment on it again and again and again. And that's a different experience. You know, um, concerts are ephemeral. Uh, music is ephemeral. They come back stage and say, oh, Marsha, you sounded so great. You know, and then the next day you're on to the next. So it's kind of short haul, long haul. And But the good thing about writing that I really um, love is, is that I am in total, total control of what I'm doing to the best of my ability in craft and, you know, the, my imagination. As a musician, you do have uh, agency over your instrument and how you're going to render various, you know, melodies and so forth if you're playing with people. Of course, if you're in an orchestra, you have to pay attention to the conductor because it's his interpretation of the great masterwork. However, in writing, you are in charge of everything, which is at once very freeing and very daunting. And so it is a different level of um, commitment. Maybe commitment is not the right word, but you're in there. It is all you. There is no one else, you know, um, and it's there. So I've enjoyed that freedom of the long haul of writing a novel, of, you know, just pressing through failing every week, every day, changing, editing. It's just kind of a glorious process. You can't do that as a musician. You have to be on during the concert and boom, it's, you know, it's there. It's got to be great. So yeah, I, I have a friend who's a, a stand-up comic and, and we were talking one day about um, the difference in writing and and performing comedy for an audience. And, and we likened it to uh, sort of, when you're performing stand-up comedy, it's almost like you're editing on the fly because you can see the audience's reactions. You can tell whether a line works, whether it doesn't. Um, you can then choose to uh, to to bail on a story and, and try to recover that crowd, or you can go all in and and just really, you know, make them mad. Or, or you know, that you're you're kind of you're live editing on the fly with with audience reaction. Um, but novel writing is definitely not that. Uh, you put all of yourself into the work before you ever uh, meet you know the 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 very small audience of of maybe your editor and beta readers or or whatever. and then, you know, ultimately to a larger audience. Um, but I, I would kind of think that that being a musician is, uh, a little bit of that. You, you've got the tension of live reactions uh, versus putting all of the work in ahead of time that a writer does. Uh, do, do you see that one influences the other or that you might uh, ha have learned some things from one uh, pursuit that informs the other? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the main things that I'm so grateful for being a musician um, for all those years, I mean, it's like 28 years in New York City, is discipline, right? So you really, you have to know your music. Not only do you keep up on your instrument, you know, to a, a very, very, very high level, 
but you have new music coming to at you every week and you may have played it before but you have to, in other words the the level that you have to play at all the time even in rehearsals highly competitive so you're on your game right and so i feel like i've translated this into writing which is that i rely on myself for the most part to be my worst critic and um and I don't get sad about it, right? <laughs> you know, in other words, if something's not working out, I just dig in deeper into the tunnel. I know it's not working out. Let's not get sentimental about this. Let's, you know, ditch this aspect of the book or, you know, the storyline or this paragraph or whatever it is and press through because the thing that I feel confident about is, is that I'll get there. I'll find a way. I you know, have a certain amount of intelligence about this. And I don't think I'm the smartest bulb, you know, the brightest bulb in the room, but I do feel like I can get there because I've experienced that as a musician, you know, failing, failing, failing in the practice room, and then finally getting a piece and rendering it the way the composer wants and getting on stage and being a success at that. So you do that all the time. So I feel uh, that I can translate that into writing. Of course, I do use beta readers and I do have an editor, of course, when the book comes to the publishing house. And um, those are necessary voices from outside um, where I can't quite see it clearly within myself. I'm too deep into it. Um, and I certainly you know, use those people gratefully. However, I use them at the very end. I never give early, early drafts to people. I keep my words very, very close because I like to force myself to get to the absolute wall with what I think I can do, put it aside, send it to a beta reader and say, what do you think? So yeah, like discipline and just, re just I think a confidence, not, yeah, a confidence in knowing that I feel I can find the answer and I want to find it on my own. You know, I don't want to listen to a Mo somebody's rendering of a Mozart concerto so that I will be informed of how I'm going to play it. I want to find that my own unique take on this character and what the character will do and um, find the best way to represent it. So, yeah, that's that's the intersections are great between music and writing in my mind, in my experience. Absolutely. Are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection. Right from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum, help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organize mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize. The app for writers by writers. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website 
your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. So after Pickle's Progress, which was uh, a kind of a quintessential New York story, if you want to look at it that way, you move to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and then publish a book called Oslo, Maine. Um, Santa Fe and and rural Maine are, are probably as far apart in the uh, in the continental U.S. as you can get. Um, what what was the the what was the kernel of the idea that 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 brought Oslo, Maine to life for you? Right. Well, it 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 does uh, relate to my music career as well. I used to play in Central Maine every summer for a week, a uh, chamber music festival there. I went back for many years, and it was not so rural, but it was central Maine. It was like an hour up and an hour left of Portland. And during that time, I fell in love with the state. I became obsessed with moose. And, um, you know, uh, Mainers told me lots of stories about moose and their experiences. And the woman who ran the festival told me of this bizarre situation where she actually crashed into a moose late at night. The moose, thank God, died immediately. But what happened to her And the experience of that night and the next day, the story always stayed with me. Now, that story I changed greatly in the novel, but it became the, I always remembered it, and I wasn't even writing at the time. This is back in the, um, I guess, the late 90s or early 2000s when I was still performing, and I always remembered it. I became really interested in moose. Um, I've probably YouTubed every video of moose out there. And uh, sort of an obsession, and it ultimately, after Pickle, I knew I wanted to write this story about Central Maine. I knew quite a bit about the area. I felt like I had a take on the people, and um, some of the people that I knew up there are archetypes of the characters in my novel. So I wrote this novel about a fictitious town in Maine called Oslo, and a moose has a point of view in my novel, um, as do other humans. 
And uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to tell a little bit about the book or not. Absolutely. Go ahead. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Right. So it tracks three families who are affected by a young 12-year-old boy named Pierre Roy, who has had an accident and he has lost his memory, right, in a strange way. And all the people around him are failing him about this. Um, He happens to be uh, learning the violin. He happens to be quite talented. He's a bit of a prodigy. And he finds out that he becomes a little existentialist. He realizes that the past is not really important and everyone's always fussing about the future. And it doesn't really matter because when he's playing the violin and he knows he doesn't have any memory and it's, and it's just making his life a misery, um, that when he's playing the violin, when he is playing music, it is only in the now. So the moose and the boy are alter egos in the the uh, in the novel, in that the moose is always waking up every day and just taking care of her needs, right? So in between all of this, we have his Pierre's father who's behaving badly. We have his mother who is incredibly depressed and has a dependency on pills due to the fact that it, her son is suffering so. Um, Pierre's violin teacher, Sandra, is a neighbor down the street, and she's from, you know, from away, and so the the parents don't get along. And it's just, it's a a confluence of about seven people who are ordinary and yet extraordinary. And people become extraordinary when bad things happen to, you know, the people that we love, such as Pierre Roy, who is suffering so with his memory loss. And all through the novel, the moose, the moose is the linchpin. Everything, that the moose has a point of view. The moose sees things that the characters don't, but the reader knows. So it's kind of a threaded novel about these people and how they attempt to help Pierre and fail and fail and fail. And um, anyway, it has a happy ending. So the boy is fine. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, uh, Oslo, Maine is, is a beautiful backdrop for a story. Um, the... the the difference in the the stage that you set between Oslo, Maine, and and Pickle is um, is stark. Uh, what what did you do to to separate the stories in your mind? Obviously, the setting is different in the in that the the scenery is different. But what is it about the the way the characters act that is different in this book and 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 Pickle, for instance, um, because uh, you know, both are in New York and, and Maine are both northeastern states, but that maybe worlds apart, um, you know, in the the way that the um, uh, the character of the people and the, the character of the town. Uh, how did that come out in the writing? Right. Um, well, Pickle was my first novel, and um, I believe uh, I sort of had this idea with the second novel, it was very specifically cited, right, in Maine. I had this inciting incident that I was going to write to and away from. And I believe that I was, this isn't something that I consciously thought about, but of course, as I'm talking about Oslo now a lot, uh, things come to mind later that that were unconscious, is I wanted to explore various types of people Right. So, for instance, um, what drives a man like Claude Roy, who is Pierre's father, who is a lot of bluster, right, 
and does some pretty bad things in the novel. I mean, he he just really can't he can't get ahead of himself. It's you know he can't seem to control himself in terms of his anger and um, his frustration about not um, you know um, being able to help his son because. His son is not exactly the son that he thought he was going to have. And yet his son is suffering because of this memory loss. Yet he wants to be a loving family man and he loves his wife dearly. So I wanted to pack in a lot of disparate uh, qualities into one person and go deeply into interiority of these characters, right? So I did this with uh, Claude Roy, of course, Pierre, is a boy who uh, understands the irony of all the adults around him and is kind of, you know, rolling his eyes constantly as they try to help him. And then he really realizes that, you know, they're all a bunch of phonies and, you know, the <laughs> 12-year-old, uh, you know, Holden Caulfield zeitgeist stuff. But I, I, I think I was interested in uh, exploring character types and how they can inhabit good and bad at the same time, because the thing that I always remember with my characters is, for the most part, 99% of the time, these people were loved. And when a person is loved in their life right early on and has gotten that, they are not all bad, right? And so this is this is how I explored it. It was uh, it was it was just more dedicated to that, I would say. You know, um, to these are character studies essentially, right? Around a gnarly plot. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's kind of where I I located myself when I was writing Oslo, was in the character study. So you really get to wrestle with some uh, some some pretty deep existential questions. Um, you know, as as you um, talked about earlier, you know, being in the now and the uh, uh, you know. The the present is we can't change the past, but we can we can definitely be present now and we can change how we respond and react uh, to the people around us going forward. Um, but you get to wrestle with these really kind of heady topics in a fun way with a cast of characters that, you know, and I'm, I'm smiling as I'm talking about them because it just um, it, it's such a fun way to do it. Um, the, writing fiction is one of those times where you really get to um, do things in in such a different way and approach topics in in new and unique ways. Um, what was it like to to get to um, you know tackle these different characters, get inside their heads and in different stages of uh, of maturity and and adolescence and even you know the mooses perspective uh that had to be a lot of fun as a writer to get to do yeah it really was hank um i in terms of the human characters i enjoyed very much during the process of writing of you know like stretching them like a rubber band like how far can this person go really what is motivating this person and then going into perhaps a backstory that explains, um, for instance, Sandra Kimbrough, who is Pierre's teacher, um, she, she was a prodigy herself, and she gives up her um, 
sort of shoe in position in an orchestra because she doesn't want it because she has a different idea of ambition that everyone has applied to her when she was a young woman. Everyone, you know, oh, she's going to you know, do beautifully. She might be a soloist. She's certainly going to be in an orchestra. And she really didn't want that for herself. And so she took control and uh, maneuvered things so that she ended up in Oslo teaching violin and playing in the local orchestra in Portland, Maine. And that was a better experience for her. But I enjoyed stretching out what they would do, what they would think, and then pulling them back, and then hopefully rounding the character out so that there's nothing so outlandish that it doesn't make sense. And the irony of all of this is, is that Pierre is the wisest of all, because he really understands fully that the past is nice enough to think about, but it is not in any way a predictor of what's going to happen in the future, and that he has no control over the future. So that he uses this device of his violin and the sound of the violin when things are very uh, confused in his world, he'll sit there and stand there in his room and play the violin and it all falls away. And that's very much the way I used the oboe when I was growing up as well. And that's kind of, I realized that that's where that comes from is I grew up in a confusing family I knew I had the oboe. It was rock solid. It never let me down. You know, I could go and play, and that was real to me. So I had a lot of fun pulling these characters apart. There's a bunch of them. That uh, One character has an obsession with Family Feud and has memorized all the reruns with Richard Dawson. You know, there's <laughs> a lot of humor in this, in this novel uh, because um, – you know, people are people, you know, you, you, you know, you open up a person's front door and like go into their back closet and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, and um, that's kind of the way the characters in, in Oslo are. I had a great time working them out. And um, yeah, so it's, well, it's fun, but also there's a lot of deep issues in the book. Absolutely. So from Pickle in New York City to Oslo, Maine, um, what are you turning your, your sights toward now, uh, Marcia? What, what do you tackle next? Well, I'm into my next novel, right? And uh, I started it, I guess, a year ago when I formally finished um, Oslo because, of, you know, the publishing cycle is long. Um, I have a novel which is uh, not quite certain what it's going to be, but it involves a woman a young woman whose parents are of Irish extraction, but she lives in, so far, New York City. And she's working on Wall Street for a finance guy who's from Belarus. And one of their clients is a washed up British rock and roller. And there's also a plumber involved. (laughs) That's all I can say (laughs) at this point. The plumber is big, right? I have a thing for plumbers also, so that's all I can say. Because water's crazy, and water is, and plumbers know a lot about water, you know. And that's um, right. So the, it's it's sort of I I have like sixty pages. I don't know where it's going to go. But and if and if you don't think plumbers are important, uh, let them all leave the earth tomorrow, and you'll find out pretty quickly. Uh huh. Plumbers <laughs> and roofers. Roofers yes. big too. We're finding out. Yeah, plumbers. Plumbers are just they're brilliant. Well, first Absolutely. of all, the toilet is brilliant. Let's put it that yes. way. I mean, yes. that thing was an invention like the printing press as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. So I revere the plumber. 
I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, <laughs> Marsha, we're going to put uh, links to Oslo, Maine in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find uh, because it's been out for a couple of days now when people are hearing this and they can grab it in Kindle edition or, you know, actual paper or, uh, you know, audiobook. I think think there's there is an audiobook. Uh, yes, uh, there is. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I know that audiobooks are huge right now, so um, I know some folks will grab that from Audible as well. There's links to it in the show notes. Uh, Marsha, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Oh, that's nice. Well, my website is MarshaButlerAuthor.com, and you spell my name M-A-R-C-I-A. And as an alternative, just Google Marsha Butler, and lots of stuff comes up. Excellent. We'll put links there to uh, to help folks find you. Marsha, always fun catching up. Um, I wish you much success with Oslo, Maine. And uh, we're uh, waiting patiently to see where this plumber takes us in the next one. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Hank. What a delight. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today.